0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church podcast. My name is Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. Hey, why don't you grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have one, we've got a whole pile of them, but we, we're trying to figure out how to place them around here without having to make uh, our friends pick up all the chairs and the Bibles to vacuum. We're trying to figure that out. It sounds like not a huge sacrifice because it's like the Bible, but that's, those chairs are a lot when you're trying to vacuum this entire room. So if you go to Matthew chapter 5, you can do it on your phone. You can do it with the Bible you have in hand. I'm a big fan of having a physical Bible. It's amazing how much the more you read this, the more you start to like you and it start to get kind of synced up. So this is weird because it's not my usual Bible. But this was a gift from some Outpost members. I'm not going to tell you how expensive this Bible was, but it was very expensive. And uh, it's made out of, you know, goat leather, which is, I guess that's pretty cool. Um, but my other Bible, like when I read it, I can, there's some passages, I know what side of the page it's on. Like I can just feel, oh, I know it's, and so this is kind of new for me. It's great. Well, would you guys stand with me? We're going to read this. We're going to, uh, we, the reason why we stand when we read God's word is it doesn't make us better than anybody, but it's just a way of saying, hey, we want to bring honor to the fact that the Word of God is our authority, conscience, and guide here at Outpost, and for each of us individually. So I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Okay? Yep, that caused a page change for somebody. All right, here we go. Verse 21, it says this. "'You have heard that it was said to those of old, "'You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment.'" Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So we're the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, guys. Have you, any of you guys ever seen these YouTube videos or these TV shows about these guys who uh, get these pets, like these dangerous pets, like a pet tiger or a pet lion or a pet bear? Y'all ever seen this, these people who do this? All right. What usually happens to somebody, these people, when they get these like lions and they're like, got them in their house? What usually happens? They get eaten. They get mauled. They get absolutely their face slapped off, right? So now last night I was sitting and my daughter was hanging out with us and she was sitting at the end of our bed. And I said, hey, babe, if we got a, a little baby lion cub and it was sitting right here in the bed, would you be afraid? She's like, no. I said, would you want to pet it? She said, yes. Because they're incredibly cute, right? They're tiny. They're not dangerous. It's like, it's like a full-grown cat, but it's, a, it's the puppy version. And, and she's like, yeah, I would love it. I said, okay, how about this? If there was a 600-pound full-grown lion sitting over here, how would you feel about that? She goes, I'd be terrified. And I go, yeah, me too. And we have trained you well. You should be scared of that. And and so she knew that there's a difference between having a little one and having a giant one, right? It's like these friends of mine down in Florida, okay? Everybody in Florida, for some reason, wants to get a snake, right? Why do you want to get a snake? You can't, you don't cuddle the snakes. They are never cute. They're snakes. But what happens, and so what they'll do is they'll get these boa constrictors, and they'll feed these boa constrictors. But what happens when you feed a boa constrictor? It gets bigger. And you know what they do? It gets so big that it can push open the cage, get out, open a door, and eat the family dog. And you're surprised? And you know what they do? They take it and they release it into the wild. And then it goes and eats other neighbor's dogs. That's what's going on in Florida. So here's the, here, the, why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because we are just like some of those crazy people. Except for, instead of keeping a pet lion or a pet tiger or a pet bear... We like to keep these little pet sins in our lives and we keep them in the cage of our hearts. You're like, oh, look, a pastor just shifted it over to that. But here's the reality. We like to keep these little pet sins inside of these cages. And at first they're small, right? And they're cute and they're not a big deal. They're not dangerous. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not affecting anybody what's going on, like what I'm doing over here. It's not going to, why are you bothered by that? But you go over to somebody's house, right? You go to your house, and you get to know this guy. You are getting to know this friend, and you start to notice that he's got this cage, and in this cage is a pet lion. And, I'm like, and you're like, hey, buddy, you got a, you got a pet lion? are like, yeah, check it out. Isn't that cool? I'm like, yeah, but what are you going to do when that gets big? They're like, no, 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 no. listen. It, listen, it's all under control. Look, boo-boo. Come here, boo-boo. Sit, boo-boo. I'm like, see, I'm totally in control. See, it sits, whatever. And he's like, that's yeah, fine, until one day boo-boo wants to slap your face off and eat you. And that's the way it is with sin. James 1 actually says it very well. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured. Now I want you to imagine lure as a lure. It's like a gold spinner up in the bighorns. You throw that thing in, you're reeling it in, and the fish is like, oh, okay. Right? And goes after it. But what does it not see? That there's a hook in there. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So James, in this book, who he's the brother of Jesus. James is just saying that our desire to have this pet sin, this desire to have this thing, invites something dangerous into our lives. And he speaks about desire, guys, because the reason is, the reason you have this is because your heart wants it. He knows what Jesus knows and what Jesus is trying to say in this is he's going to show us is that all pet sins we keep in a cage of our heart. It's not just about what's on the outside. It's more importantly about what's on the inside. Jesus is less concerned about behavioral modification like the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day and the religious leaders of our day tend to focus on. Jesus is not interested in behavioral modification. He's interested in life transformation. He wants you to get rid of these things that on the inside that might kill you because your heart wants them. Now, why does Jesus want us to do that, friends? Why does he want to focus on the heart not just on the outside? Because he cares about you. He cares about the real you. Not the you that you display to the world. Not the you that seems to be in control because you've got a big six foot, eight foot fence around this little bear in your backyard. The real you that desires to keep that bear inside of your life. And so he cares about you and not only does jesus care about you he cares about the way that you interact with others he loves us and he knows that the sin that greg brooks keeps in his life is going to affect bonnie brooks and olivia brooks and some of you all right and so he wants to address us so today he's going to address one of the beasts of sin a dangerous dangerous lion that we keep in our cage of our hearts and that's anger anger is something that is incredibly powerful anybody ever felt anger it's incredibly powerful. It can really throw you off, man. You can get drunk on anger. And then you end up doing and saying things that, man, you wish you would regret. You wish you wouldn't have done. You do regret. And so he's gonna address that today. We're gonna look at anger. We're gonna look at anger, contempt, resentment, all these things. So we're gonna look at it. Check this out. I've got only two points, not three, just two. Now. I made a promise to the tech guys that it's going to be a little shorter than usual. I don't know if I kept that in the first service. I think it was normal. All right. So I'm not going to make that promise to you because I don't want to, you know, Proverbs says hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't want to make your heart sick. You're like, I got hope that I'm going to get out and get there before, you know, the other churches get to that lunch. But so here are the two points. Number one is anger. We're going to look at the murderous heart. And then point number two is we're going to look at war. Okay. Okay. How do we go to war against this sin? The practical tactics to kill sin with God and with your teammates. That's what we're going to look at today. Sound good? All right. Some of you are happy about that. Some of you are like, I'm pretty angry about this. All right. So what we're going to do first is let's look at the passage. Let's let the Bible talk to us. So the first question I want to ask is, what is the original commandment that Jesus mentions? Well, he says it. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, Old Testament, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, this comes directly from the Ten Commandments. I'm sure you've heard of those. All right, Exodus 20, and it's a fundamental rule to life. Anybody okay with that rule? Don't murder? It's a great rule. Okay, we all kind of agree on it. We think it's great. Now, something you can kind of say, some of y'all might want to try to say, listen, is like, well, I don't really struggle with killing people, murdering people. I don't think anybody who attended an Outpost community team this past week, and we got a second question, and we said, hey, you know, how are you feeding your flesh? And you're like, well, this week, man, I just struggled with murdering people. We'd go, help, what do you mean by that? I'm like, help me understand. It was, like, it was just two, all right? It's my boss, and it was my neighbor who moved the fence over a little bit. I just couldn't help it. I was just like, that's <laughs> enough of that, you know? And so I guarantee you nobody said that. And if they did, uh, you know, I've got some friends who would like to talk to you. Okay, we're going to invite you to a place called prison and, and look we'll come and see you there we love you. Um, so the question is why is this relevant? It's relevant to us because of how Jesus amplifies this law this really good rule and how does he amplify it? Great question I'm glad you asked. He says in verse 22 but I say to you listen when he says that but I say he just said the word of the Lord says this but I, it just, he's flexing and saying, This is what my authority is. Now, we're about to see, he's not about to get rid of the law. We talked about that last week. He's going to amplify it like these speakers are doing to my voice. And so he's saying, I've got authority to show you the fullness of the law. That says a lot about a man named Jesus, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, listen, Jesus' words are so crystal clear it's impossible to mistake what he's saying. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that if you are angry, you are liable to the exact same judgment as someone who murders another man or woman. That's exactly what that means. He's saying you have the same judgment. Now, I think all of you guys know that murder comes from an angry heart, right? That seems to be... The final fruit coming from the root of anger that's in our hearts. Okay, we all can see that. that I, the anger that we feel towards somebody, regardless of why we feel it, when it pours out of our heart and it moves to our hands, it can become murder. And it's like, the, it's the ultimate version. Okay? But I think some of you might still go, well, listen, I get what you're saying, but... I still have not murdered somebody, so why am I still liable to the same judgment? Well, Jesus is saying, listen, you may, that may be, you may not have murdered somebody literally, but the ingredients of murder are in your heart, and therefore you are judged the same way as someone who walks it out with their hands. Let me give you an example from pregnancy, okay? Uh, It's like saying that a child in the womb is not a child. A child that is in the womb is a child, is it not? It is. A child that is in the womb is in the child. Every sober-minded, sane person knows that the the human being developing in a pregnant woman's womb is a human child. Now, if you pull that child out early, it's going to look like a child, just not fully formed. And what he's saying is, in the same way, if we were to pull the hate out of you, it's going to look like that murderous heart, just not fully formed. Do you see what I'm saying? The ingredients are the same inside of you, as they are when it comes out of the hands of others. Okay. Now, there's another connection between how we view the child in the womb and what we do when we have anger towards one another. So now, this is where I'm going to need you. I'm going to do my best to be as clear as humanly possible. But stick with me on this. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Uh, there are for those who do not see the unborn as having rights or even being a child, they see them as not worthy of life. They have devalued them to the point of saying it's just not even a human. It's not a life. It's not whatever, right? So what does that have to do with anger? What Jesus is about to show us is, guys, our anger has an incredible ability to do the same thing that those people who in their uh bad mindset and evil see a child is not a human being. Our anger causes us to dehumanize others in the exact same way. Now, am I just making this up? Am I just trying to platform, you know, uh, pro-life right now? I will always do that. But no, Jesus actually try- says it. Watch this. He says, but I say to you, if anyone has anger, is angry towards his brother, he's liable to judgment. Now look what he says. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What does he mean? Okay, this is crazy. The word for insult in the Greek is rakah. Let's try it together. Raka. Okay? It's probably like raka or something. I don't know. Okay? It literally means calling somebody empty-headed. It's calling them an idiot. You stupid. That's what it is. It's insulting their mind. Then... The word fool, okay, in the Greek is more. Try that out. More. Okay, more. Where do you think we get the word moron from? More. There you go. You're, you're keeping with me. Look at you, Greek scholars. But here's the thing about more it's not referring to your IQ, it's actually an insult of your heart, of your character. So one commentary said like this He said, Raka expresses contempt for a man's head. You stupid. Murray expresses contempt for his heart and character. You scoundrel, you piece of, fill in the blank. Put these together and you have a similar perspective to that of our culture, how we view unborn life. What you're doing is this. You are telling somebody that in their mind and in their heart, they are not worthy of life. This is what Jesus is showing us. That those who, who you are angry with, you have a crazy ability to dehumanize them in your anger. Okay, I, I'm reading a book right now by John Tyson. Uh, it's called Beautiful Resistance, The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. I mean, what a title. You should go read it. It's worth the title itself. Um, and he, said, he actually has a chapter that is on contempt. Contempt. And I want to talk to you about contempt. He defines contempt as this. Feeling someone else is beneath consideration, worthless, deserving of scorn. Okay? It's this, it's not a hot hate. God, I hate you. Contempt is this cool hate where, uh, it's a cool hate that is, uh, oh, I moved it. I was like, where am I looking right now? Here we go. It's a cool hate. In this us versus them culture where we look at others and we go, those are less than people. It's not this loud, hey, it's just this like, it's this posture of you are not even worthy of us. I, I have no place for people like you. I don't have time for people like you. In fact, we should remove people like you from our society. You see this? We dehumanize others. And it's so easy to do especially right now in America. We're do, everything is doing it constantly. It's a massive, fully loaded coal train going downhill. You cannot seem to stop it. But church, listen to me. We are called to be the ones who go a different way. Listen, uh, University of Texas philosopher Robert Solomon, he actually includes uh, contempt in his definition of anger and hatred. So he's a three-part definition. He says this, resentment is anger directed towards a higher status individual ah a resent I'm angry with Joe Biden I'm angry with Governor Gordon I'm angry with the principal I'm angry with my coach oh I'm angry with the pastor uh whatever it's this resentment towards somebody that maybe you see is in a higher position it's resentment it's anger towards that Anger is directed towards equal status individuals. So I'm just angry with my community member. I'm just angry with Bonnie. I'm just angry with my friend. Ah, just I'm angry with that guy. That's just it's more like this. You see what I'm saying? Okay. But contempt is anger directed towards a lower status individual. Right? I'm so tired. I'm so angry at these single adults. Less than these teenagers can't believe what they're doing. Can you believe the way that they're talking about and listening to? golly, or at other worst times in our society, uh, these black people, these Asian people, these Democrats, these LGBTQ people, right? All these, and so what we do is, it's going, hey, this part of human society is not as valuable as my part of human society, and so we're gonna dehumanize them in this way. You see what I'm saying? Now I wanna do something, because look at you. You're all looking at me, and you're like, "Bro, bro, it's 2023. What do you think we are, Germans during 1934? We're going to be trying to kill Jews? Let me, let me tell you this. Let me say this. Most of you would have taken part in the exact same thing if you lived in Germany and you were German. I can prove it to you. Because most people in Germany did the same thing. How did they do it? They did it by decades and decades of dehumanizing a group of people until they were convinced that they were not a people but a parasite that needed to be removed from society. I can can prove this to you. If you come with me next year and go to Jerusalem with me, uh, I'll take you to the Holocaust Museum. The first half of the Holocaust Museum is not about what they did to the Jews in the Holocaust. It's about the decades leading up to what they did at the Holocaust to show you the cartoon ads that they produced about Jews the books they wrote about them the education they brought to the school system saying that these people are stealing our jobs they're stealing our money they're stealing our society they're bringing in morals that we don't want and they would do this they would these are hideous cartoons of these people and they would dehumanize them and they did it for decades do you understand And then when financial crisis and pressure and all that happens and it's rising up, all they needed was one man to go, the reason why we're in this spot is because of those people. And good, sane people like you loaded these people on trains and sent them to the fires of Auschwitz. You go, you can't blame that on me. Watch. Just in 2020, when the election had ended and Joe Biden won, there were 70 million people who voted for Donald Trump. Do you know that? That's, just a, that's like a little bit of people. And 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. And famously, Don Lemon, who, he's like on CNN or one of those. Is it CNN? Who knows? Okay, there we go. So it, it, he's, a, he's a news broadcaster. And on there, he famously said this. He said, after seeing that there's 70, he goes, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. And then he said, what do we do with these people? I watched, I saw it live. He said, what do we do with, not these Americans, neighbors that are our neighbors that we love. What do we do to cross the lines? He said, what do we do with these people? Now, before you start thinking that this right here, and it's like a small room. I feel like I'm in preach mode. But listen, before you start thinking this is like a, like a support Donald Trump thing, this is not. What this is, is guys, it's a wake up. Wake up. Our culture is flying towards this attitude of dehumanization between these lines. And we have to wake up and realize the church is not supposed to be a part of that. Are we called to engage? You bet your uh, $600 boots they are. We are called to engage but not engage as the conservatives or engage as the liberals. We're called to engage as 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 type people. Listen, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then verse 14 says, and let everything you do be done in love. So instead of being known for what we stand against, we stand against it, but we're known for the way we stand against it with love. The church should not be a place where we dehumanize people because of their sin or their skin color or their social status or their political party. This is a place where no matter who you are, you go, come on in. We know of your value more than you know of your value. And none of your external things are going to dictate your value to us. We're going, you're creating the image of God. Welcome to the place where we're going to value more than anybody in human society. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is the most important message that I could preach right now. Like I feel like that for 2023, my job is to prepare you for 2024. And the church, there we go, I like it. Uh, I'm not running, so don't clap, don't clap too much for me. Uh, I don't think I even qualify. I think you have to be like 35 and I'm not even close. Okay, so here we go. Um, so why does this matter, guys? It matters so much because when we, are, when we are getting angry, listen, when we get angry with others and we begin to look at them in contempt, dehumanizing them and lowering them, saying they're not worthy of our time, when we do that to our barista who now we won't go across the table and tell her, hey, I'd like to invite you to this place called Alpes because I love you, I care about you, and we go, you're not worth my embarrassment. When we're angry with our family members or our friends, or whatever, he says you're worthy of. You know what you're worthy of? He says you're worthy of the hell of fire. He's going to mention hell three times in about 12 verses. Once in this section. Now, I know a lot of people when you hear the word hell, you're like, ah, I'm going to map this building. Of course, we're going to talk about hell. I get why some people are frustrated by it. It seems like they don't go together. you got this loving God, and you got this thing called eternal p- punishment called hell. You go, how do those go together? Okay, there's a reason, but let me just tell you, tell you a little something. The word hell is the word Gehenna. Gehenna is referring to the Gihon Valley, which is just below Jerusalem. You know what's at the bottom of Jerusalem? The Dung Gate. So this is a desolate, hot place, this valley, down at the bottom of Jerusalem, one of the biggest cities in Israel. And they would take all, this is where they would take all their dump. You guys seen the dump before? Smells horrible. It's where we take our trash. We drop off our carcasses and where they would leave their excrement. It was outside of the town. It was just a sneak, stinky, smelly, hot, a place they would light on fire type place. You see this? It's like, this, like the most godless place. And that's the image. And so what it, listen to me. What is he saying to us? He's saying, friends, when you harbor anger in your heart, treating another man or woman or child as worthless, you are going to be, you know what you're worthy of? You're worthy of the worthless place where God isn't. When we dehumanize and lower others, we forget there's a God above us. And in doing what we're doing, we're not seeing people the way God sees them. He goes, I have a place for you. It's a place where I will not be. It's going to be a place of eternal hell and fire. Where I send the worthless things. If you harbor this worthlessness of anger and hatred towards others, it may be the thing that prevents you. It may be the thing in you that you're going to go with it to Gehenna. Do you hear that? So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I have no place for this in my people. There is no place for this at all. Now, does that mean that all anger is bad? What do you think? No, actually, you're right. Good job, guys. I love this. If Second Service is the one that gets like, recorded and thrown online, I'm going to go, hey, I'm saying it here now. They're, these are awesome people in here. This is, it's quickly becoming my favorite. Does it mean that all anger is bad? No, it does not. Now, if we want to look for an example, who should we probably start with? starts with Jay. Now look at that. I tell you what, the, it's are killing it. Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, listen to what it says. And he looked around at them, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. It says he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and it was restored. Why is Jesus angry? He's angry because, Listen. The religious leaders are so focused on the outside appearance that they were missing the weightier matters of the law, which are mercy and love and grace and kindness and justice. They were not seeing that. And it grieved Jesus' heart. and He was angry at their sin because he wanted to heal a man on the Sabbath. That's nuts. Isn't that crazy? Oh, it's crazy. And Jesus calls it crazy. John chapter two, we see Jesus angry with the money changers when he flips the tables and makes a whip to drive the people out of the courts. He's angry. What is he angry at? He's angry at this, this injustice that's happening. With these money changers, what they do is they rob people. And when they, well, how would they rob people? Have you guys ever like, had to go in an airport and exchange money? Okay, here's a little tip, for, a travel tip for you. Don't do it there. They're going to rob you okay? They're going to take a lot off of you with the exchange rate. What you should do, okay, this is totally not in the sermon. This is just a tip. You call ahead and call your bank and you say, would you send me this money in that, in that type of currency? And they'll send it to you and you'll get a better exchange rate. That's my gift to you. You're welcome. I love you. Just how it works. Don't do it in there. And so Jesus is angry at what's happening in this airport. But here's the thing. He's angry because it's happening in the courts of God. And they're robbing their brothers. So he flips the tables. He said, I, I, you're not doing this here. Now, Jesus' anger is not an, a selfish, angry what they did to him kind of anger. It's an anger at sin and injustice. Guys, did you know your Bible tells you to be angry? Isn't that weird? Right? Is it on the screen? Don't cheat yet. Don't tell them. All right? But in, in Ephesians, Paul says, be angry. That's literally a command. Be angry. What he's saying is not only there are times where you need to be angry, he's saying there are times, listen, friends, guys, listen to me. There are times where you must be angry. You must be angry. We must be angry in justice, when the poor are taken advantage of, when women are abused, when, when babies are, are aborted. And listen, I want to say this real quick. Somebody said this in the first It's so great. Listen, there is forgiveness for abortion. But we should be angry at those who promote it. There's absolute forgiveness, okay? There are some people who are really close to me in this body who've had one, and they've walked through the the same thing I walked through, which is seeing that Jesus forgives sinners. But we should be angry at any attitude that dehumanizes people and makes them suffer. Now, how we do that is really helpful, okay? Because here's what happens. Uh, If you don't do this properly, so Ephesians, let me finish it. It says, be angry, but what does it say? Paul says, "Be angry, but do not sin. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger." How many couples in here are you going like, "Look, we're not going to bed because I'm still mad at you. We need to talk about this thing, right?" Like, uh, Bonnie and I, we've like sat up till like eleven, arguing until we're like, "We're done." We're like, "We can't. like we not. To, we're not allowed to sleep until we like get this done, right?" Like that's what we usually think of. And he says, "Give no opportunity to the devil." Okay. So unlike God, guys, who expresses his anger perfectly every time. We are fickle folk, right? Our anger so easily because of our pride can shift into something that is just ugly and nasty and not helpful, not good. It it can slip into sin real quick. We're gonna talk about that. So, but that anger can sometimes slip into anger towards ourself, anger towards the person. So let's look at this, anger towards ourself. What happens when we're angry with ourself? This is what kind of tends to happen. Let me show you this. When we're hang- angry at ourselves, a lot of times it leads to shame, depression, fear, and I'd add to that isolation, discouragement. We want to run away. Anybody ever felt that? Man, the sad legalists in the room, like me? Ugh, woe is me. And so, But here's the thing you need to know, guys. God does not hate you. So why should you hate you? Well, what about the people that we're angry with when we're angry at others? When we're angry at others, when we hate others, it can lead to anger, retaliation, subjugation, gossip, slander, murder, rejection. We could add to this list, right? Are y'all seeing more? That's what happens when we're angry and we do that to the person. But here's the problem. God does not hate that person. So why should we hate that person? Do you guys know the Bible tells us that at one time we were all enemies of God? We were God's enemies. And yet he didn't hate us, he loved us. So what is the proper way to be angry about this? Look, let me show you. The proper way to be angry is to hate the sin. To hate sin. Man, I listen church, I wish that we would hate sin more around here. Because when I hate sin, it doesn't make me prideful. It makes me humble. Because I've got sin, and because you got sin, and I don't hate you, but I love you because God loves you, and I hate that sin. It gives me compassion for you because I know you got sin. Makes me want to be a part of your life and go like, let's get, let's kill this little tiger you're keeping in the backyard. Let's kill this this barracuda you got swimming around in your life. Let's kill this dangerous thing. It gives us compassion. It gives us a desire for righteousness. We talked about it weeks ago, right? Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he will be satisfied. Those who hate sin go, man, I just want what's good. Everybody want what's good? I want what's good. I mean, I want a place where we're not killing each other. I want a place where we're not aborting children. I want a place where we love those who think differently than us, even though we stand against what they do. We love them. I want good and righteousness. And so, when we do that, what's the first way we do that? The first way, guys, that we do this is through reconciliation. we walking out reconciliation, first with our brothers, and then, I know this is crazy, with our enemies. Let's talk about with our brothers, with the brotherhood. You know what the brothers are? The brothers and sisters are in here. Got that? We're Christians in the church. So he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, you're like, oh, wait a second. I forgot leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is actually a really interesting example. It's of a person who's seeking, their, he's coming to the Lord, i this, coming to the courts of the Lord, is here to leave a gift, to worship God, ascribe value to the Lord, maybe seek grace with the Lord, but he does not have value and grace with the relationship out there. It's the image. And he knows it. And it's his fault. And so what God says is this, guys. I, it's so good you hear this. Look, I'm so glad you're here. It's pretty dope that you're all here. You know, God's happy that you're here. It's great. I don't mean that privately. It's just a great place to be, man. Hanging with God's people. Spending time together. It's encouragement. God loves when you serve. It's a gift to him, man. When, when you serve and you give your time, talents, your finances, and you're a part and all that. He loves that. It's so good. Guys, you're doing a good thing today. But you know what's a greater gift to God? He just told you that you have reconciliation with your brothers and sisters. He said, hey, hold on, let's pause a second. I'd prefer you didn't just attend and I would prefer that you didn't just give until you go and give love and reconciliation and grace and mercy and forgiveness to your brother or to your sister. It's like God looking at y'all going, listen, Amen. I'm so thankful you're doing this. But will you first go do this? And then come back and let's have this time. Do you see that? That is what he's saying, guys. So listen, if you've got some kind of lingering hurt with some other believer in this room, maybe you sit on one side of the aisle, they sit on the other side of the aisle, and you know what? You're like, ah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But you're keeping that lion cup there. It's a matter of time if it grows. It's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt them. You need to go and reconcile. If there's some people at another church, maybe at CMA, House of Prayer, Cody Bible, uh, you name it, wherever you came from, and you've got some lingering herd that hasn't been dealt with and you've been avoiding it by being here, I want to tell you, you need to go and you need to be reconciled. I- I'm fine. Don't, don't, don't give to outposts. Don't even intend until you get it done. Make your goal that I want to go and be reconciled with that person. Now, it's up to them to, to receive that, but it's up to you to go do it. It says, go. Go have that conversation. Do you hear what I'm saying, friends? Look, I think you guys think. I, this, is, this is the reason why some people don't want to attend outposts. We just really, we know we stink. And we really just want to try to do it. So friends, don't just listen. Don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers. Go do it. All right, but it's not just with... The church or the brothers and all that stuff, like the brothers and sisters in the church, okay? It's far more than that. Paul says, I always take pains. He says, I take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. And so this is not just excluded to the brotherhood. It also includes your enemies. Anybody got an enemy? Maybe not. Maybe you got a frenemy. Students, you got a little frenemy at your school? Man, she's always nice to me when I'm around her, but when she's gone, I hear she gossips about me, right? Yeah. Okay, sorry. That's, my ba- That's the best teenage girl voice I could do. All right. You get it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. I feel really honored and loved by you. Um, so let me read this. It says, come to terms. How fast did you say come to terms? Come to terms what? Come to terms what? You guys, Did you, do you hear? There's a couple people say, how fast? <laughs> Quickly. He didn't say come to terms when you feel like it. Come to terms when, you know, they got humbled because they made a mistake. He says, come to terms quickly. You know what the word quickly in the Greek really means? It means fast. It means quickly. That's all it means. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you. You will never get out until you pay the last penny. Friends, listen, if we're not doing this as a brotherhood, if we're not doing this as Christians and followers of Jesus, if we're not doing this, why would the culture listen to us? Aren't we just salt that's lost its saltiness that should be thrown out and trampled on? you're like, why would we listen to you on reconciliation? You guys are the ones that get all these denominations. You're the ones that are all over the place. You're the ones who are bitter and change churches constantly. And I'm not trying to mock you guys, but in that, like, we got somebody's got to call us out. Might as well call ourselves out. But if we walk this out with one another, we become professionals at learning how to, how to reconcile with one another. Guys, we, we don't just make mistakes in the church. Sometimes we hurt people outside of the church. And the way that we go and reconcile with those people is a massive beacon of salt and light. When we go, hold up, hey, I, I made a mistake. I'm gonna go run. I'm gonna go to that person and I'm gonna seek forgiveness. Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna run. Hey, before you sue me, I just want you to know I'm so sorry. I did make a mistake. Good buddy of mine down in Dallas, Texas. His co his coworker made a bad decision. They they pay for a uh, uh, They pay for a service with this company, and he went. And he took some information and he paid somebody in a foreign country to do the same thing, which then ended up that guy, he didn't know it was going to happen, created a bot that went and scraped their entire server and brought it to him. And when they found out that a bot was literally stealing all their information, they were like, you screwed up. Now, my friend's company, is; their core values are integrity, honor, excellence. They claim Christ as one of their business leaders. And so my buddy... Call them. He took over. It was, a mis- it was a mistake. It was silly. It was stupid. He calls the CFO of this other company and just says, listen, I just need you to know. And the guy's like, hey, this looks, this doesn't make any sense. And he goes, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. And we're, we look stupid and silly. And I just want to apologize for that to you. So regardless of what you do, and they're seeking legal. They have lawyers involved. He goes, listen, I just want you to know. It was stupid. We are wrong. You are right. We shouldn't have done that. It doesn't make any sense that we did it. Would you please forgive me? And for some reason, that company's starting to back out and go, all right, these are just a bunch of idiots. We're just going to leave them alone. Do you see what happens? Now, I think what happens sometimes is we go, hold on, Greg. I hear what you're saying. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm not going to seek reconciliation. I think a great example of this is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was a former president of South Africa. Mandela was a political prisoner for 27 years. Anybody in here 27? Raise your hand. If you're close 26, 27, raise it high. Come on, Ashley. Raise it high, Ashley. She's 27. Your entire existence he spent in prison. And he suffered immense injustice and oppression under the apartheid regime. However, after his release from prison, he worked tirelessly to promote reconciliation and forgiveness in South Africa. Rather than seeking revenge against those who had oppressed him and his people, Mandela recognized the importance of reconciliation and worked to build bridges between different groups in South Africa. He met with former jailers, even reached out to his political opponents to seek common ground and promote unity. Mandela's efforts towards reconciliation were crucial in helping to heal the wounds of apartheid and move South Africa, an entire nation, towards more peaceful and just society. His leadership and commitment to reconciliation serve as a powerful example of the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation in the face of injustice and oppression. Listen guys, of uh, of Nelson Mandela, who I don't know is a believer, can set that kind of example and Jesus who set it for all of humanity we do not have an excuse. And so the question is well then how do we go to war against this what do we do Greg how do I walk this out how do I how do I dive into this thing and do it? Well I want to I want to show you I'm going to show you some steps here okay I'm going to give you practical tips to go into war with this uh, against these vicious beasts of anger with God and with your teammates. All right? And I hope you have teammates. If you don't, we'd love to solve that for you. But to go to war together. Now here's the thing you need to know. What did I say about contempt? Contempt is this anger where we devalue and dehumanize somebody, right? And we see them as less than. So what do we need in our culture? What we need in our culture is honor and love. Your kids right now, and the kids are in this room, need to know what honor is, and most of you can't define honor yourself. Honor is exactly the opposite of contempt. It's ascribing worth to something. Do you hear what I'm saying? Contempt is this anger where we dehumanize and we rob of worth and therefore justify our actions towards somebody, because look what they did to us. Whereas honor is ascribing and giving worth away and ascri- like showing the worthiness of something. You see what I'm saying? Guys, we need to bring honor back into this room. Let me give you an example. I I did it in the first service, I do it again. I want to honor and give words to those guys who run the tech stuff. You don't even know they exist until a mistake happens. And those mistakes aren't always their fault. Sometimes there's demons inside electronics. I don't know if that's biblically true, but it feels right, right? And they work hard. These guys come back and they're never seen by any of you and they run stuff. Josh Donald, I want to thank, he'll put together the slides for my messages and I'm so thankful for that. It's amazing. And I want to honor you. It's wonderful that you do that. It makes my job easier and it makes y'all's listening and learning easier. Those are people who welcome and help with front lines. I want to tell you, you are the most honorable people. You know why? Because you honor people as they walk in. As they come in and you say hello, you're giving them honor. You're saying you're worthy of my attention and my smile and my eyes. And we go, ah, that doesn't matter. In our society, it matters more than anything. Because when you're welcomed, you go, ah, do I have value here? So those of you guys who are on front lines, thank you for doing that. You are doing a great job. That's wonderful. You know what's the number one thing I hear? When people come to Outposts, they go, man, I just felt so welcomed here. That mean greet time, right? Somebody saw me. I want to honor you. That's amazing. All right. That was like three steps ahead of where it's supposed to be, but I was so excited to talk about it. I had to tell you. But let's talk about what are the tips and tools we got to do, okay? The first tip and tool I want to tell you is this. If you want to go to war against this anger and contempt and this resentment you carry around your heart, hey, the first thing you need to do is you need to confess it. You need to confess it. And now, First John tells us, if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself. He'll even go further than that. He said, you call God a liar when you say you don't have this. But God goes, I see past all of your outside nice guy looking peacefulness, right? He says, I see right through that and I see the anger that you have. <laughs> okay? And so his first thing you need to do is confess. And that's simply going, yeah, I've got anger, I've got frustration, I'm hurt by this. The next thing you have to do is repentance. You guys have heard me talk about repentance. We've talked about repentance for like three weeks. Repentance, right, is simply a, I'm going a direction. There is something in the womb of my soul that is resentment and anger that is growing and developing inside of me. And I can see it's starting to press out and it's bringing this pressure in my life, this hurt. Pregnant women are going, yeah, I know what that's like. And it's like, it's hurting me, it's hurting others. I'm lashing out, I'm, I'm going against my husband, against my friend, against my teacher, against my coach, and I'm just being angry. And I recognize it. I stop, I confess. Repentance is turning around to go a different direction. Say, I'm going to get rid of this. That's repentance. When Peter is standing before thousands of people and he preaches the first sermon that changes the entire world, he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back. And he says, that your sins might be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You hear that? How refreshing is forgiveness? It's it's awesome. If you've never walked through it, I'm telling you. I've walked through it with a dad who abandoned me multiple times for drugs and alcohol in prison. And and I walked through that forgiveness where no longer I was going to let my anger towards my dad control my future. Because it was going to impact the way that I was going to be a dad. And It has. And I had to go, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to confess this. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn around. And I want to go a new way. So the next thing you got to do is forsake. I love Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgression, his anger, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Ah, friends, listen to me. Confession is between you and God. But I want you to know this. Forsaking, I believe, is a community effort. To truly forsake think something, you need somebody's help. So if you need some help, the first thing you need to do is you need to look at the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit of God, I need your help. You look at his word and go, I'm going to memorize scripture. They're going to guard my heart that I might not sin against him. I'm going to look at the grace of Jesus in his word and I'm going to say, God, remind me of what you've done for me. But the second thing you're going to do is you're going to bring people around you who know you, who can look at you and go, ah, that's snippiness. What is that? What's going on there? And they're going to stand with you because fighting, fighting a beast-like anger is like wrestling with a lion. Sometimes it's getting close to your throat to take you out. And you need people to come in and help wrestle it off with you, to remind you of God's goodness, to remind you of God's grace, to stand around you. That's why at Outpost Community Church we have what we call community teams, the people who work together for this effort to follow Jesus into whatever he calls us to, which sometimes is forgiveness in the hardest situations. And so we do it as a team, forsaking it. All right. Now, one of our so our core values. All right, one of our core values is pursue relationally. I don't know if you ever heard of this. It's Romans twelve ten. It says, "Listen to this. What did I say? Is like the antidote to contempt and anger. What is it? it? Starts with an H. Runs with honor. It's honor. Yeah, honor. Right. Describing worth to something. Listen to this. Romans twelve ten. This is what we use for pursue relationally. What does that do when we do that? He says this. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter twelve. He says love one another with brotherly affection. It's an antidote to this anger and hatred and division. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's like it's a theme in the Bible. Do you notice this? It's like God's talking about it all the time. It's kind of like he knows how despicable and broken we are. And he knows how it works. And he says to outdo one another. I love that. You know why I love that he says outdo one another? Because I'm a competitor. If you and I are vacuuming this room, I'm going to be paying attention to how much you vacuum. And I'm going to make sure that what I vacuum is more than what you vacuum. Because I want to know in my head and heart that I've done more than you. Okay? It's just that, compa- anybody else like that? I, I am just that way. I can't help it, man. And so when it's out doing honor, it's like, I just want to honor you more than you honor me. Right? You're awesome and you're awesome and I love you and you're great and you're creating the image of God. I want to lift you up. And you should be honoring me. Now, it sounds, super, it sounds weird when I say it like that, huh? But guys, you should, we should be honoring you. We should be showing you the goodness and graciousness of God. We should be trying to love you like brothers and sisters are called to love each other, right? That's why it's one of our core values. All right, so we got to do it, man. Hey, and the last thing that we got to do is, the well, first thing is confess, repent, forsake. Do it with community. And the last thing is we have to replace. We've got to replace Here's the thing about: Have you guys ever noticed that when you take something out of your schedule, something else fills it? You ever notice that? Can't even help it, right? It's like, all right, soccer's over. Oh, thank goodness! Here comes hockey. You know, here comes the next thing. How many times have you guys said, "When we just get done, when we get through this season, it's going to be great," and then the next season is just as busy, if not busier? Huh? It's like a cancer. And so here's the thing, when you remove something, something always wants to take its place. If you leave it empty, or that thing was going to want to come back and fill it again. So you can't just remove it, you've got to actively replace it. And so that's what Paul says in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, look, let's see if you see the theme again. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Some of you, the best thing you do is turn off Tucker Carlson. Some of you, the best thing you do is turn off the meme thing that just degrades people in our society. Some of you, the best thing you could do is to open God's word and remind yourself what's good, what is lovely to gather like this, to eat and fellowship and to drink and just like, just remind ourselves of the goodness and greatness of God. Shut down all the noise that's constantly pushing us all towards this hate. Turn off Don Lemon, right? And you go, I just wanna, I don't wanna listen to Don Lemon. I wanna listen to, I wanna listen to the, the Lord, Father. That's why our first core value is to devote daily to a relationship with Jesus, reading His Word and praying and talking with Him. It's because, I don't know if you all know this, but it will change your life. And I'm not saying that in way. ways. It's like it's changed mine. And I read every day God's Word. And I'm telling you, I have a, it just, it's helped me. It's shown me God's goodness. And I just don't have as much anxiety and fear and all that stuff because of what God has done in there. And I'm not saying I'm a good person. Boy, I got some anger. It's past week. It's funny when I go to teach a message, I always struggle with that thing. It's so like, I like, this week I'm like, why am I so angry this week? It's because I'm teaching on anger and God's like, I see you got it too, kiddo. Right? I want to give you a final example before we take some time. This is my buddy Josh. Josh uh, was reading my message and I said, hey, just read it over. Tell me what you think. And uh, he sent me this email. So I'm, call, I'm calling you out. You kind of knew it was coming. Um, and he sent me this email and, and I'm just going to lift up. Uh, I'm gonna, I want to honor God through Josh's story and what, and what Josh wrote to me in this email. Listen to this. This is just amazing. He says, hope you don't mind me sharing some thoughts. This is a powerful message that if one listens can truly set someone struggling with anger on the path to freedom. One thing for sure is it doesn't happen overnight. That's true. Being a man that has very much struggled with the sin of anger, there are two things that I constantly focused on. Without focusing on these two things, I never would have been able to get, in, get to a spot of true repentance nor confession." to the people in my life. The two things are this, time in God's word and prayer, which revealed what Christ-like love looked like. Then I was able to strive to and focus on choosing to love those around me. When I put a a conscious effort into loving people, that was the catalyst that finally allowed me to break through and overcome the sin of anger. That path of overcoming for me is still so very real. It brings tears to my eyes as I type this message now. For me, it came down to truly seeking Christ, and then he led me to all the rest, all the, rest the love, the repentance, the confession, etc. It all came down to counter, the counterattack of love that defeated the anger. And I love it. Josh, what a great example. What Josh is saying is listen, he got to war with the Lord and with his community against the anger in his soul because he was hurting and killing him and others. So what I want to do, guys, we're going to sing this song. And what I want to do in this time is I don't want you to stand with us. and go through the motions of ascribing worth to God. I want you to take time and ascribe worth towards yourself and towards others by saying, God, just praying and considering. Is there any anger, resentment, or contempt that you have towards God and towards others that you need to confess? I just want you to take a moment to just rest and pray. Let the words of this song be sung you stay right where you are don't move